Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Doodle. What's up, internets? Welcome to another Fan Bros special delivery. This is Chico Leo. As always, I am flying high above the Brooklyn night. And uh, we got a big uh, superhero week uh, behind us. So starting the week out, I think with the biggest uh, news in superhero TV on Supergirl, uh, we had what I thought was possibly the best episode yet. Um, after what was another really good episode. Um, so this this week we had Human for a Day. Last week was the Red Tornado episode that ended with Kara losing, uh, Supergirl, losing her powers because she um, used, you know, used them all up with her heat vision, destroying the Red Tornado, defending National City, and saving the day. But at the very end of the episode, she cuts her hand and she bleeds for for the first time. So this episode picks up with a powerless Supergirl. Um, they figure it all out in this episode. And Kara does, in fact, is able to get her powers back. It's a matter of just uh, the Kryptonians' bodies are batteries. And they're charged by the yellow sun that the Earth orbits around, and it was just a matter of time and recharging. Uh, People weren't sure because she had gone longer than her cousin Superman goes uh, when he has to recharge, but she does manage to get her powers back. Like on The Flash, where an episode ended with Barry breaking his legs, and then them sort of managing to figure it out in the course of an episode. I definitely thought this was a storyline or a trope that they could have dragged out longer. I thought one of the th- one of the reasons that it was might have been the best episode of Supergirl so far. Well, there were two things, but one was showing her powerless and exploring. I mean, it's very much a superhero trope, but exploring the idea that. The hero is actually Kara Zor-El, Kara Danvers, and not Supergirl. Um, we see her do a bunch of stuff without her powers. She talks a uh, an armed robber down with, with no powers, just with her compassion. And um, as, as young as this show skews sometimes, there was some stuff she definitely couldn't save a little girl's father and the father dies in front of the little girl because she can't fly him to the hospital. And, um, you know, it was definitely a growing experience for Kara. She does in fact get, get her powers back. Um, cause the show is called Supergirl. Um, but there's also some good stuff with Jimmy Olsen, and um, I just want to comment on that. Um, I think a lot of the commentary on Jimmy Olsen has been like, oh, it's really cool they made Jimmy a black guy, and that definitely is cool. I like uh, the actor a lot more as Jimmy than I did as Eggs. I think he was in the Twilight series. I didn't see that. Um, he and Kara have great chemistry, um, but I actually think the cool 
change from Jimmy Olsen is not that they made him a black guy, but in fact that he's not a nerd. He's not an uber nerd. Like, he's super cool, and I think the update works really well. I think a, you know, a, a superstar photographer in 2015 is a lot cooler than a photographer in 1939 uh, when, um, you know, Superman was originally created and Jimmy Olsen was introduced to the world. Um, and I don't think uh, photographers were even that cool in 1963 when Spider-Man was introduced and Peter Parker was a photographer. But I like the idea that Jimmy is actually uh, a cool dude um, and not uh, a super nerd. Um, but that was not the big, the big reveal. And I want to talk about this is that Hank Henshaw, the head of the department of alien, you know, men in black track down the aliens, uh, organization and Kara's sister's boss is in fact, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Now, a couple of things. There were some people who guessed that. Obviously, we all knew he was alien because of the red glowing eyes. I did not know that he was that they were going to reveal that he was John Jones until the moment that he said, I am John Jones and turned into an eight foot green dude. Um, I thought one of the things that was really dope about that. So Martian Manhunter is one of my favorite DC characters. And I think a, a lot of people's one of a lot of people's favorite DC characters and one of the awesome things was the fact that there was no advance warning. Yeah, we, we knew that his family had died. We knew he was an alien. We knew he had red eyes. But I assumed that they were going to make him a bad guy. And, you know, the end of the season was going to be Supergirl and her sister basically defeating this bad alien who's been on the inside for so long. You know, a la, there's always a bad guy inside CTU on 24 and Jack Bauer and Chloe and whoever have to, you know, defeat the bad guy and save the day. But this, they gave no hint that Martian Manhunter was going to be, uh, you know, on the show. And in this day and age when, you know, you can go online and see 5,000 photos from the new Star Wars and read the new script and yada, yada, yada. And I knew Red Tornado was going to be on Supergirl before the show even started. This was a really, really rare uh, reveal that that they didn't reveal in advance and um, you know kudos to them uh, I can't think of another time that I was watching a superhero show and there was such a big reveal I mean you know Flash at the very end of the Flash Gorilla Grodd episode a few weeks ago they revealed Gorilla City which was really dope but this I mean Martian Manhunter is a very important A-list DC character and David Harewood's a good actor, and they weren't really doing that much with him. And so I'm definitely really excited both for John Jones, Martian Manhunter, and all that that's going to do. I mean, definitely Kara's, you know, backup has just doubled. Um, if anything, he's more powerful than her or just as powerful. Um, and so... I'm psyched that they're going to give uh, Hank Henshaw slash uh, David Harewood more to do. But I, I also just applaud them in revealing and adding a very important, vital DC character to the cast. And I don't know, again, you know, DC has this really stupid idea to keep the TV and movie universes separate. 
But um, having Martian Manhunter in here could definitely be a bridge to movies. And uh, the reveal was really dope. And he's got a great backstory and there's a little bit of melancholy. And Kara has definitely been expressing feeling alone because she is an alien. The only part, I mean, she can talk about it with her friends but they, and her sister, but they can't really identify with her situation. And Martian Manhunter definitely can. And he's even worse off than her um, while the... Um, Else, you know, Kara Zor-El and Jor-El, I mean, rather, Kal-El, while their planet blew up, they still have family. Uh, Kara's aunt is still around out to get her, and her cousin is Superman. And so, you know, there's a big difference as opposed to John Jones, whose f- whole planet was destroyed and his family was killed, and he's the last, he truly is the last of his kind, so I'm pretty excited um, about where that's going. There's definitely no doubt that Supergirl skews for younger audiences. Um, it can be some of the dialogue can be a little uh, annoying, and some of the plotting can be. Although they do manage to surprise uh, it being an eight o'clock CBS show, it's definitely never been as dark as Gotham, which is on at the same time on on Fox. But um, I have been enjoying it uh, just in the sense that it does represent the the sort of light, and I don't mean lighter in terms of haha, but the so or I'll, no, I shouldn't say lighter, but the more heroic side of uh, superhero stuff. It definitely feels like a superhero comic. Maybe it does feel like a DC comic, or maybe a Marvel comic from the '60s. Uh, you know, an old Stan Lee comic and um there has been a real dearth of female superheroes i mean before this season of jessica jones and supergirl all that we had was you know six episodes of peggy carter and the black widow appearing in other people's movies so uh and and i i do think that supergirl and jessica jones premiering the same week or right within a week of each other there they were able to show that you can do both um sort of light, uh, daylight superhero stuff, daytime superhero stuff, as well as nighttime superhero stuff with a female protagonist. And both, um, I'm not going to say that Supergirl's as good as Jessica Jones. It's not as nuanced. But um, again, I really like uh, Marissa Benoit, or no, I'm sure that's not her name. But, uh, so uh, you know, um, I really like her a lot. And um, I, I've, I'm enjoying the show and I'm enjoying it a little more as it goes along and introduces and sets up its universe. I mean, I don't like it as much as The Flash. I don't know that anybody does, but it's definitely worth uh, sticking with, I think. And it did get um, picked up uh, for the rest of the season. I think it only had half a season order and I think it might even have gotten picked up for a second season. So if you're not watching Supergirl, it's definitely worth checking out. The last two episodes have been pretty good. Um, It does feel sometimes uh, like it might be geared a little bit for a younger audience than some of the other superhero shows. But uh, the cast is, for the most part, really good. And they are setting up a nice mythology and a bunch of storylines. So, um, you know, stick with that uh, or check it out if you haven't. The other sort of daytime 
uh, superhero show, and I say daytime in, in the sense that it's not, uh, you know, a dark and lugubrious uh, show like Jessica Jones or or Arrow is Flash. And this week's running to standstill was uh, a great, you know, representation of that. Um, I guess they did their holiday episode and we got Captain Cold, Weather Wizard, and the trickster himself, Jesse James, played by uh, Mark Hamill, none other than Mark Hamill, who actually played him on the old Flash show, uh, which is, uh, you know, another shout out to that. They're definitely doing that on these shows. Um, Supergirl's parents or adopted parents are played by Helen Slater, who played Supergirl in the super terrible Supergirl movie of the 80s. And Dean Cain, who played uh, Clark Kent slash Superman in The Adventures of Lois and Clark in the early 90s. And in this one, Barry's dad is played by the guy who played The Flash in the 90s Flash show. And the tri- it's the same trickster. Um I think they wanted to introduce a new trickster, and so the first time we met Jesse James, it was his son, but um, I'm glad that they've, obviously, I'm glad that they stuck with Mark Hamill, I'm glad that they're going with the whole rogues, you know, them teaming up to defeat the Flash, Um, Weather Wizard is a little bit of a disappointment, the dude who plays him is the dude who played Spartacus in the last two seasons of Spartacus, Um, I've always liked him and I don't know if it's a matter of him not having a lot to do or not adjusting, but he definitely doesn't have Captain Cold's, you know, sort of super sarcastic, cool demeanor, uh, which um, balances out the trickster's sort of maniac Joker-esque personality. And of course, Mark Hamill has played the Joker uh, in voice only in uh, a ton of different uh, Batman animated franchises. But um, the three of them teamed up, and uh, because there was no money in it, Captain Cold decided he didn't want to kill Barry, and I think they have, even though they're on opposite sides, usually they have uh, a relationship where, all things being equal, they do help each other out. And so he warned Barry. I mean, yeah, he warned Barry, and um, that that was cool. Um, the other thing with the Weather Wizard is the Weather Wizard killed Emily, uh, Barry's cop girlfriend's dad. So she's kind of going, you know, maniacal at this. And uh, at the very end, uh, the Flash talks her down. I'm sure, like everybody else, her character will become a lot doper once she realizes that Barry Allen is the Flash. But like Supergirl, there was a uh, a really great reveal, and the great reveal is Wally West, who in this uh, universe is Iris West's brother. I don't know if, uh, I'm assuming he's going to become Kid Flash, although in this world he doesn't seem to be that much younger than Barry. In the original DC world, like, they were of different generations. Um, Iris West became, you know, is Barry Allen's wife, and Wally is her niece, uh, nephew rather. Excuse me, uh, was her nephew, and so there's more of like a 15, 20 year age difference between Barry and Wally, and Wally's much more of a sidekick. Um, also, I don't know, but uh, Wells Earth Two Wells' daughter is named Jessie, which might actually reveal later on her being Jessie Quick. And Zoom is using Earth 2 Jesse to force uh, Earth 2 Wells to basically pump Ga- uh, Barry up so that his speed is at maximum, 
you know, maximum force so that when Zoom vampirically drains him, he's draining the most speed that he can. Um, Caitlin and Jay Garrick finally get together. That's been something that's been telegraphed as coming for most of the season. They kiss under mistletoe, under uh, off of uh, some of the sort of funny or not so funny Earth versus Earth 2 you know, misunderstandings. Uh, I, I mean, it was funny when he was like, what's Christmas? Um, but it, the, the other irony is that the guy who plays Jay Garrick is like a hapless, befuddled sex addict on Masters of Sex. And there's something very 50s about Caitlin. And so it almost, it was almost like something out of, out of Masters of Sex. Um, but yeah. Uh, the Flash did not end. I mean, introducing Wally West was the uh, was the sort of kicker at the end. Unlike Arrow, which definitely um, is the grimmer and grittier of the two, and this was a particularly grim and gritty episode. Uh, on an episode where they definitely we knew that Felicity was Jewish. It's definitely been highlighted before, but on an episode where Felicity is Jewishness is definitely highlighted. Uh, we definitely feature a scene where uh, Felicity and Diggle and someone else, I'm, I'm trying to rem- remember who, um, are all actually put into a gas chamber and actually refer- it's referenced as a Nazi gas chamber by Damien Dark. And, um, of course, uh, you know, they, they are not, in fact, gassed. But the, the episode did... The the uh, the teaser made it definitely look like somebody was going to die, and they even set it up throughout the show. We got a couple of emotional moments through a lot of characters that it could have been anyone. I was thinking that it was going to be Captain Lance. Instead of killing him, they've hooked him up with uh, Felicity Smoke's mom, which could be a fate worse than death. We'll we'll have to see. But in what I felt was a real call out to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is the one James Bond movie with George Lazenby from like 1969, I think. Um, It was for a long time considered everybody's favorite Bond movie, although it was not George Lazenby himself was never considered anybody's favorite Bond but that was the one where um, Bond Blofeld in that one is played by Telly Savalas and Bond actually falls in love with and marries Diana Rigg, who had just come off the Avengers TV show playing Emma Peel and Game of Thrones viewers will recognize her as Marjorie Terrell's grandmother on on Game of Thrones, you know, the dope uh, lady who sits in the garden and spits out a lot of dope uh, sarcastic lines a la the uh, uh, Maggie Smith on uh, on Downton Abbey. Um, but uh, James Bond falls in love and marries Emma, uh, not Emma, Emma Peel, but uh, I don't actually remember her name, Diana Riggs' name in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And in the very last scene... Blofeld, who has been defeated, gets his revenge by actually shooting a machine gun into the car that uh, Bond and what's, uh, yeah, whatever, you know who I'm talking about, where uh, Bond's wife and Bond, their, their wedding vehicle, and she gets killed and he dies in her arms and it ends. <clears throat> that appears to be what happens at the end of this episode of Arrow. Um, Oliver 
uh, proposes to Felicity publicly. It's a very sweet proposal. She says yes. They drive off, and Damian Dark, who, while having been defeated, has definitely lost this battle um, in this episode. Um, his men, the ghosts, surround the car, fill it with lead, and seem to fill Felicity with lead. And uh, that's it. Um, so both Flash and Arrow had their mid-season finales. Flash with a hopeful one, introducing Wally West. Arrow uh, in the episode Dark Waters, um, which ended very darkly. Uh, we'll see if they're going to kill Felicity off. I, I highly doubt it. Um, there's definitely scenes in the upcoming next episode of her in surgery. There's also scenes of of, of uh, Ollie at a gravestone, but that could be anyone since, you know, all of his loved ones have, have died. Um, well, not all, but, but most. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know if it was intentional with the Diana Rigg, Emma Peel comparison, but that's what I thought of. They definitely revisited that a little bit on in, in the first of the Daniel Craig Bonds, where Vesper Lind, played by Eva Green, uh, dies at the very end, and it's clear that James Bond was in love with her. And since then, he's been only colder and crueler. See, the problem with the uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service is that after that, um, Connery came back, did Diamonds Are Forever, which is a very weird, un-Bond-like Bond movie. And then um, Roger Moore started what has actually been the longest run by any Bond on the Bond movies, and... He just, you know, to a lot of people, myself included, is the lamest Bond with one or two or maybe three good Bond movies or good Bond performances in, in, in bad Bond movies, and the rest are, are pretty forgettable. Um, so, yeah, that there you have it. Uh, the difference between Flash and Arrow uh, definitely highlighted by, by their ending. Um, another show that, uh, that I think has gotten a little better... Although I, I think I liked it more than, than most in the beginning, partially because I didn't have high expectations, is Into the ba Badlands. This episode is Snakes Creep Down. And um, they've definitely, it started out, there was a lot of information dumping going on in the first couple of episodes where they were showing you the world. Um, it's very often in a show like this where they're showing you, introducing you to a whole new world and all these characters that the first episode or two can be a real slog to get through because they're just setting everything up. And now that we really do know who the characters are and are comfortable with them, we're definitely getting more character stuff. I would even say clearly the fight stuff maybe took a little bit of a back scene in this episode. Uh, not so much in the last one, which had that really dope uh, cemetery fight scene. But um, my only complaint at this point is it's really not clear to me why Sonny is still so loyal to the Baron. I mean, the Baron is a dick. The Baron killed his lady's parents. The Baron makes him do shit that he doesn't want to do. And I understand that he's loyal and all that, but it also seems like he could just throw in with the widow and all his problems would be solved, or he could just kill the Baron and be out and all his problems would be solved. And it's not clear. It's it's starting to be a little bit of like, well, why are you staying with this dude? And the Baron is evil and manipulative 
And so that that might be the only thing that um you know, my only issue. MK is still a little annoying. Um the widow is still my favorite baron. Um it's going to be interesting. They've there's only one episode left, so we'll see how this all gets wrapped up. Um but uh Into the Badlands, I had low expectations. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, it, it gets a lot of credit for the fights, which are certainly well-deserved. But I think that it, it, it actually, the world-building is kind of interesting. This sort of feudal, steampunk, kung fu world. There are some inconsistencies. But I definitely, you know, with what they showed with, uh, you know, the Rivermaster as like, you know, some Prince Cornell West, you know, mashup and things like that. Like... When they have widened the world, it has only been for the better. I mean, we saw a brothel a few weeks ago where it seems like all the sex workers knew Kung Fu. Like, I want to see more of that. So I hope Into the Badlands, you know, I'm, I'm excited for another season. And I'm hoping that it does, uh, it does continue uh, to improve. Uh, one new show. That is actually starting tonight, if you're listening to this on Monday, is The Expanse. This has been, uh, Sci-Fi has put a lot into this, the Sci-Fi Network, and has definitely uh, touted it as being great space opera. The uh, There's been uh, comparisons to Battlestar Galactica. Sci-Fi has really fallen down on this sort of stuff. I, I only watched the pilot of Dark Matters, and I didn't stick with it, but I actually really liked Killjoy's two new sci-fi shows that they introduced uh, maybe, uh, you know, four or five months ago. Um, Dark Matters is now on Netflix. I will try and get to it and check it out because I know there's some people who do like it, and I know it's also been picked up for a second season. Um, The Expanse, the pilot was put on Sci-Fi's website um, a few weeks ago. I didn't watch it because I wanted to wait till it was on to watch it in real time. And so it actually does premiere tonight, uh, Monday, December 14th at 10 o'clock on Sci-Fi. I'm definitely going to be there. I know that um, it's a space opera, but also a political intrigue. And there's a bit of a detective story. And I see like dude, like great dudes in gray fedoras, which actually reminds me of Caprica, which I loved Caprica. I'm one of the few people out there. I thought Caprica was wildly underrated. I thought Caprica was a Battlestar Galactica prequel. Uh, for those who don't know, it was a little slow, but I thought the world building was incredible. I thought it was the best VR stuff that we've ever seen uh, on TV or in movies. And uh, I, I, it answered a lot of questions from the series, like how did the... the um, how did the Cylons become, you know, religious Christians and all kinds of other things like that. And uh, I really liked Caprica and I feel like anyone who liked Battlestar Galactica would like Caprica. But anyway, the what little I've seen of The Expanse, it looks a little like um, uh, Caprica. Last year around this time, Battlestar Galactica, I mean, uh, Sci-Fi Channel was touting Ascension which really was not that great, had some really good concepts, but ultimately was not that great. And that was part of, that was the beginning of their whole, yeah, we're getting back to real hard science, hard sci-fi. I did like um, the Canadian show Continuum, which actually just ended on the Sci-Fi channel. Uh, That was a, a great time travel cop show 
with a uh, female protagonist that uh, ran for four seasons. Um, I'm pretty sure they're all at this point on Netflix, and I uh, I recommend that you go watch that. But real sci-fi has been hard to find for a while on the Sci-Fi Network, and a lot of people are talking about The Expanse. I know this weekend, um, the dope folks over at Sci-Fi Saturday Night, um, run by the Geek's Old Brother on Twitter, they watched The Expanse. And uh, I saw a lot of really good reviews from there. Other reviews have been good. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. We're going to cover it um, on Special Delivery. And it begins uh, this week. So check out The Expanse. One show that actually had its uh, season finale this week was The Returned. The Returned had the second season finale that was like the two years in between the two seasons. I can remember doing a, a um, Walking Dead special delivery, you know, way back in, in 2013, where I recommended The Returned. It's a French show that is a very different take on zombies. They're almost not zombies, but it's on basically people returning from the dead. It's got a little bit more of a mystical side to it. I would even say it's like The Leftovers Meet the Walking Dead in French. They remade it, an American version, which was supposedly terrible. I didn't watch that. But um, I had gotten a new uh, cable box about six or eight months ago. And so while the old returned was in my cable box ready to be DVR'd, the new one wasn't. And so I missed the first couple of episodes. And I have the rest in my DVR. I do pledge. I know there's a couple of people out there who watch it. And I do plan on getting back to it and at least, you know, just giving a quick, uh, you know, recap of this season. But um, I'm hoping, you know, in the next couple of weeks, they'll be, you know, we'll be in between a lot of regular seasons. And so I'll get the chance to do that. But um, I really, really liked the first season of The Returned. And um, I haven't read much about season two, haven't heard much about it, but I'm definitely going to give it a shot. So uh, that's it for this week of Special Delivery. We've got another great guest coming up this week on Fan Bros. Uh, and as always, you can follow us on Twitter, at Fan Bros Show, on Facebook, on Instagram, and uh, all that good stuff. All right, peace. Fan Bros!